Okay, so we're going to be uh, covering this morning, I'm going to be uh, preaching on life, love and purpose. Right behind us here, life starts, love happens and purpose is revealed. And Pastor has asked me uh, to preach this morning and it's an absolute honour and it's a privilege and I would at this opportunity just like to give all praise and glory to God for his mercy, for his forgiveness uh, because it's down to that and that alone that I'm standing here uh, right now. So thank you Lord for that. I'm going to be talking as I said about life, love and about purpose. And this is our church uh, logo if you like, this is our church catchphrase, whatever you might want to call it. That life starts, love happens and purpose is revealed. But our aim here is that it's not just a catchphrase, that it's not just uh, something that's posted on a wall here, but Pastor Phil's vision is very much that our church is that place, that it is the place where life starts, that it is the place where love happens, and it is the place where purpose is revealed. So I'm going to be speaking about some of the things that God's Word has to say about life, about love and purpose, And I'm going to be looking at how we can practically apply those things into our lives so that we can all play a part in Heartsease Family Life Church actually being that place where life starts, where love happens, and where purpose is revealed. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, Lord, we just thank you so much for all that you do. We thank you for your provision. We thank you, Father, for your mercy and for your forgiveness, God. I thank you for this church. I thank you for our wonderful pastor and his family. I pray blessings upon them and safety through this pregnancy and delivery, God. We just love you so much, and I just pray that you would just touch me this morning, use me this morning, God, so that lives are changed, that hearts are touched, and souls are saved, Father. We love you, and we will give you all praise and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so, you know, I've always enjoyed words. I've always enjoyed learning, and I've always thoroughly enjoyed reading. Uh, English language and English literature were two of my favorite subjects at school. Yes, I can remember that far back. Uh, And I'm one of those nerds that uh, enjoys crosswords, word puzzles, playing Scrabble, things like that. Uh, And I can't even begin to guess how many books it is that I've read in my lifetime. Many of them have been fictional books, uh, you know, stories, sci-fi books, things that spark up the emotions and the imagination. um, Books by Shakespeare, George Orwell, things of that nature. But also books about hobbits, about elves, you know, things all that. And I said, from a very young age, I've been reading a lot. And many of the books that I've actually read, you'd find in the self-help um, sections of libraries or bookstores. Books on increasing confidence, uh, on how to write better, on how to speak better, how to motivate yourself, how to make, motivate other people. I've even read books on how to read books. Um, so there's all sorts of things that are out there right now uh, that are available. And... Um, I could take all of those books and all the information I've gleaned from those books 
And quite frankly, they pale into insignificance, the impact that they've had on my life compared to this book right here. So I would urge you and encourage you, this book, you know, a lot of people don't necessarily read the Bible. They'll put other things first before reading the Bible because it's a thick book. It's a heavy book. It's a big book. Sometimes people will put the Bible to one side because they consider that this book is an old book and this book is not relevant today, that it can't make an impact upon you in your day-to-day life here in 2013. And nothing's further from the truth. This book right here is the living word of God. Now, I'm not saying that reading anything other than the Bible is a waste of time and it won't teach you anything. I'm absolutely not saying that. There are countless books out there uh, that are fun to read, that are educational, that can help you in your day-to-day life and even in your relationship with God. So I'm not putting other books down at all. I, I mean, myself, I've probably got, I think I've got six books on the go right now. And I don't say that in any way, shape or form to brag. I think one of them's been going for three years. So, I mean, uh, you know, I'll start things, these books and what have you. Um, but I've got a lot of different books on the go. So I'm not putting um, that, those books down at all. But what I am saying is, <clears throat> if you're only going to read one book, make it the Bible. If you only have 15 minutes a day that you're going to read, then make it the Bible that you read. Some people like to read magazines about the celebrities of the day, find out what's going on in their lives. People also like to read newspapers to find out what's going on in their own lives and their own communities. And again, there's nothing wrong with that at all in principle. But I believe that it should not be at the expense of reading God's Word. All right, so God's Word in places is just as exciting as any of the other books that I've read. But this book, it helps me to be a better husband, a better father, a friend, better employee, a better counsellor, confidant, advice giver, a better advice taker. It helps me to be more patient, more understanding, more compassionate, more loving, more loyal, more financially wise. It helps me to keep things in the right perspective, to put the right value on the things and the people in my life. And it helps me in my life today and every day. And as I said, this Bible is God's living word. And that's not just this, my Bible. It also applies to your Bible. Okay, so your Bible is as well the living word of God and can impact upon your life as well. All right, so let's look at some of the scriptures about life, love, and purpose and see how we might apply it to our lives. Now listen, try as I might, uh, when I was putting this message together, I was hoping that I wasn't going to have too much scripture to throw out there and throw at you. Um, I kind of succeeded to a point, but there is a fair amount of scripture here. So what I would ask you to do is, first and foremost, just stay with me. Um, second, please just write down the scripture, if the, the, the name of the scripture, the title of the scripture, the chapter and the verse, and then study it in your own time as well. Um, I do believe that there'll be a CD of this available afterwards if you want to recap and everything like that. I'm not going to race through this, but there is a fair amount of scripture, so uh, let's go through this together. So let's look first of all at life. Life in the physical begins when we're born, and life in the spiritual begins when we are born again, as Pastor Alan touched upon earlier on. John 3, 1 through 3 says this, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, and this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So being born again is a process of being saved. 
It's the event at the very start of our salvation experience. It's a time that we consciously decide to accept Christ into our hearts and acknowledge him as our Lord and our Saviour. And it's at this point, for the first time in our lives, that we are forgiven of all of our sins and we're granted eternal life in heaven. Accepting Christ as our Lord and Saviour is the only way that these things can happen. One of the disciples, Thomas, he asked Christ how we would know the way to God. And we're told in John 14, 6, that Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's John 14, 6. So if you're here today and you've never yet accepted Christ, and you've never had a relationship with God, or if you've heard people talk about other ways to get to heaven, or other teachings about being saved, Whoever you heard them from, please know that there is only one way to get to the Father, and that is through Jesus Christ. Now this was already something that was in here, but um, I heard earlier on this week from somebody who was talking to me about, um, I've got to be careful how to phrase this, I'm not putting anybody down, but they were actually attending a function at a church. And the, the person that was speaking to them, the priest that was actually speaking to the congregation, was talking about going to heaven. And he was actually saying that uh, there are lots of ways to get to heaven. And one of the things that it depends upon, um, you know, if you do a good job, which is a worthwhile cause and you're helping people, you'll go to heaven. Based on the fact of what your occupation is. So it's very important, as I said, to be very mindful of who it is that you're listening to and, and what it is that's being said. The great thing about this church, one of the very many great things about this church, is that every word spoken from this pulpit is truth. It's directly from this word. And as I said, it's very important to understand Jesus Christ is the only one and the only way to get to heaven. Okay, so I could preach a whole message on salvation alone, but I'm not going to. Um, Instead, what I want to do uh, is to look at another piece of scripture and see how Jesus brings life to each and every one of us. So if you would turn to your Bibles, if you would, to Luke 7, 11 through 17, or follow along on the screen. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at an account of an event that happened on Jesus' travels. So now it happened the day after that he went into a city called Nain, and many of his disciples went with him and a large crowd. And when he came near the gate of the city, behold, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a large crowd from the city was with her. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her, and he said to her, Do not weep. Then he came, and he touched the open coffin, and those who carried him stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. So he who was dead sat up and began to speak, and he presented him to his mother. Then fear came upon all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen up among us. And God has visited his people. And this report about him went throughout all Judea and all the surrounding region. So let's take a moment to look at this piece of scripture and see what it is that we can draw from it. Now a couple of weeks ago, Pastor actually uh, went through one of the ways in which we can study scripture. And that's by soaping it. Okay, so soaping it, the the scripture. And this is a great way of actually looking at a scripture and pulling information from it. And that soap stands for... S is for scripture, O is observations, A is application, and P is prayer. I thought we had a slide for that, that's fine. Okay, so S is scripture, O is observations, A is application, 
and P is prayer. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at some of the observations that are actually in that scripture there. Now I've, I've pulled out three. And these three observations on this scripture. Observation number one. Jesus focused on the one person that needed life and he wasn't distracted by the crowd. Jesus focused on the one person that needed life. So now, we're not told how many people were actually in there in the crowd, but just that it was a large crowd. But Jesus wasn't motivated by the crowd. He, wasn't motivated by his, he was motivated by his compassion for the situation and the fact that he could do something about it. It made no difference to Jesus what the crowd thought or even what, uh, that they were there. All he saw was the one thing that he could bring life to. Observation number two. Jesus didn't care who the man was or what he had done in his past. He saved him anyway. The passage tells us that Jesus saw the mother and simply said, do not weep, and then went to the dead young man and told him to rise up. He asked no questions about him. He didn't discern or justify that he was going to save him because of something that the man had or hadn't done in his past. All he cared about was raising him up from the point where he was. Observation number three. The man didn't know how dead he was until Jesus gave him life. One minute he was dead, and the next he's sitting up in his coffin saying, All right, Mum. One moment he's lying on his back dead and stinking, and the next he's reborn, renewed, and he's living again. So how does this apply to our lives, looking at the application part? Well, if you don't know Jesus Christ, if you've never committed your life to him and let him into your heart, or if you've known him in the past but you've strayed away from him completely and you're now living your life for you and you're not living your life for him, then there's every chance that you're the guy in that coffin. There's every chance that you don't realise just how dead you are. The great news is, though, that Jesus sees you lying there. He doesn't see the crowd. He doesn't care about anything that you've done in the past. All he wants to do is to make you rise from the dead and to give you life. And the prayer? Well... If that's you, if you are that person right now and you've not yet given your life to Christ or you've strayed and you've distanced yourself from God, then you're going to have an opportunity a little bit later to pray with all of us and accept the life that he wants to give to you. So that covers some of the life starting. Let's look at the love that happens. As people who know God, love should be happening in our lives and we should love to at least some degree. In fact, 1 John 4 verse 8 tells us, He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. So if you're in a situation at the moment where you do not or you cannot love anybody, it's nothing to do with how lovable the people around you are or aren't. And it's nothing to do with what may or may not have happened in your life up until this point. It's a direct result of where your relationship is with God. The more we know God, the more we can love. So what does the Bible tell us that love is? Most people here have probably heard this scripture at some point in time. It's used a lot in weddings and things of that nature. But what I want you to do is this. Don't dismiss this and just let it bounce off of you and think, yeah, I know that scripture. What I'd like you to do is try and imagine that you've never heard it before. And I'm going to describe to you the way that God describes love. And I want you to just really listen to this and, and take this on board as though it's the first time you've heard it. It's 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. And it says this. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy, love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own and is not provoked. It thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, 
believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. And love happens in our lives in three ways. God's love for us, our love for God, and our love for each other as people. God's love for us, God's love for you, is unconditional, it's constant, and it's never-ending. And I know that that's really hard for some of you to believe. And the irony is this, that the more we believe and know how much God loves us, despite of who we are and what it is that we've done, the harder it becomes to believe how much God loves us. If you believe that God does not or cannot love you, then you are believing the number one lie of the enemy. And you're robbing yourself of life. John 3.16 tells us clearly, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God sent his Son to die on the cross for our sins and to grant us life. He did that because he loves the world that much. He did that because he loves me that much. And he did that because he loves you that much. So we know how much God loves each and every one of us. But how are we to love God? In Matthew 22, 36 to 38, there's a lawyer has gone up and approached Jesus and asks him a question. He says, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the first and great commandment. So the love that we have for God is entirely committed. It should be an entirely committed love. And more than we love anything or anyone else. And then in the next verse, Jesus also instructs us how we're to love other people. He says in verse 39, And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbour as yourself. Now in John 13, 34, 35, Jesus goes even further than that. And he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So what Jesus is telling us here is that the way that we treat each other is how we will be known and recognised as disciples, as followers of Christ. So people should be able to watch how we treat other people and recognise that we are followers of Christ. And that means how we treat people in and out of church. But let's look specifically at these scriptures in regards to the love happens part of our church DNA. One of the main reasons that people tell us that they come to this church and new members of our church family tell us that they come back to this church is the love that they are made to feel. Pastor Philip's biggest desire as regards this church is that every single person here feels loved. And not just that, but that every single person here loves. Pastor Phil and the whole leadership team, we love you. And we love every person in our church. We cannot get to every single person during every single service to express that to you. To hug you and to tell you that we love you. I wish we could. But irrespective of how many people attend this church, there should never be anybody that doesn't feel loved by somebody every time that they come to Heartsease Family Life Church. So I encourage you, every time that you are here, do your bit to make sure that the love happens for somebody else. Now, having said all of this about the love that we are to feel for God and for others, I want to take some of the pressure off of you. The kind of love that the Bible talks about, the fact that we should love everyone unconditionally and without ever being angry or frustrated, is what we all, as Christians, are working towards. If you're listening to this and you're thinking, well, you know, I've blown it because there's no way that I love my neighbours like that. 
I'm, uh, obviously I'm not saved, or I'm a heathen, okay? Then that, again, that's not true. We are all learning, and we're all growing. It's just that some of us have got a bit more to learn than others. <laughs> so let's look at uh, purpose and how it's revealed. Jeremiah 29, 11, one of my favorite pieces of scripture, and I know it's favorite for a lot of people. It tells us, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. New Living Translation, I think it is, says, I know the plans that I have for you. So the first thing that we have to understand and believe and lean on in times when we might be asking God, what is going on, Lord? is that whatever our specific purpose might be at any given time, he always has thoughts of peace and not evil towards us. And the thoughts that he has for us are to give us a future and a hope. Now, one of the biggest challenges that we have as Christians, and one of the hardest things for us to do in the flesh, is to trust God with the things that are happening to us, and to trust him to guide us through our lives on a day-to-day basis. Our nature is to try and take control of situations. And to do what we can do to make things happen in our lives. We're often forcing an issue or determined to go down a path that God does not want us to follow. Our plans for ourselves can often be entirely different to what God wants for us. Now ultimately, we need to do all that we can do to make sure that God's will is the direction that our lives are taking. And it's not our own will. Proverbs 19.21 says, There are many plans in a man's heart. Nevertheless... The Lord's counsel, that will stand. One thing that's very important to understand is this. While God has promised that the thoughts he has for you are for good and not for evil, there will occasionally be times where God's plans for you are firstly different to what you would plan for yourself. And secondly, at least temporarily, they may not be as exciting as the plans that you might have had. You might have aspirations to be promoted to take over your boss's job. God's plan might be to move you sideways into another, a bigger office, and then give you that promotion of that boss two years down the road. You might have desires for a brand new four-wheel drive truck with all the bells and whistles, and God might be planning on a nice cheap third-hand minivan for your wife. So how do we keep our lives as in line with God's plan as we can? And how do we prevent getting frustrated when God's plan is different to our own? The first answer is that to always be praying for God's will to be done in every area of your life. If you're praying and expecting that everything in your life will be according to God and not yourself, then more often than not, the way things turn out should never be a surprise to you. We've heard before, and Pastor has said this, that when your experience is different to your expectations, then the gap between the two things is filled with frustration. So it follows then that if your experience is exactly the same as what you expected, then you should never be frustrated. Make sense? Secondly, we should always be praying for guidance. Pray that God will steer you and help you in times where decisions have to be made. And when you have a choice to make about a job or a business deal, or whether to buy a new truck or a third-hand minivan, always pray that God would open the doors to his opportunity and close the doors to anything that is not in his will. This is not in my notes, and I'm not going to go into too much detail here, but as an example to you, today it's been really, really laid on my heart today to... To put across a message to you, and the words are great and the rest of it, and obviously this, I believe, is what God has given me to actually speak to you today. But what I want to do today, more than anything else, is have you drop your guard. That's really what I want to do. I'm going to touch on that in a bit more detail here. So in the spirit of that, you know, what I want you to know is this. 
that the people that stand up here and are preaching to you, whoever they might be, if it's Pastor Phil, if it's myself, if, it's, if we have guest speakers, if it's Trey, whoever it might be, we're all basically on the same walk that you're on. We're all trying to get closer and to be more Christ-like also. None of us have got it together. So my point is this. I've been talking to you here about the fact that we should always pray and always be seeking God's will to be done. And my prayer is always for other people. If somebody comes to me and says, you know, I need guidance as regards a job or something like that, or I need to make a decision as regards a career. What I always pray for those people is this. Lord God, you know, put the right people in front of these people. Open up the right doors, Lord. And if this choice is the right choice... Make every door wide open. Make it glaringly obvious to this person that that's the direction they should take. However, if this is not your will, slam the door closed. Don't just close the door. Slam it shut so that there's no, there's no confusion as to what's going on. Now, I mention this because I've, actually, I've just come off of the back of a 21-day fast. And I was, went into that fast for two reasons. Firstly, for, um, for guidance regarding my family. And secondly for uh, finances, for a job situation and for a business situation. And I went into that fast, and I will hold up my hands to you, and I will tell you this, two things I was expecting. The first thing I was was expecting was for the situation in my family to be rectified and for peace and harmony to be restored. And that happened. Praise God. The second thing that I basically was praying for was this, that our real estate business was going to flourish, that we would have client upon client, that we would be having the right people put in front of us, that I could um, prosper in that, in that area of my life. And I came out of the fast. And what happened instead was, God slammed the door closed. I mean, absolutely slammed the door closed. And without going into too much detail, I don't have my license anymore to deal with real estate. That door was closed. Absolutely, and it was God all the way down the line, looking back on everything that happened, everything that occurred. Now, Molly still has her license. I do not have my license, okay? And that, as I said, is something I'm not going to go about getting rectified or anything like that because I am taking it that God answered my prayer. I prayed, I prayed for guidance. Now, is that plan exactly the way that I had it in my mind? No, it's the exact opposite. So now I'm praying for financial blessing and for guidance as to what's going to happen next, okay? But my point is this. I am thrilled. I'm not thrilled because now I don't have the opportunity to prosper in that field. I'm thrilled because I know categorically, right here and right now, I'm living in God's will. Okay, so lastly, as regards this, speak to somebody that you trust about the situation. Proverbs 11:14 says, "Where there is no counsel, the people fall, but in the multitude of counselors there is safety." In other words, talk with somebody and seek their advice and their counsel. Be prepared to listen to them and make sure it's someone that has your best interests at heart, to the point where they would not hesitate to tell you what you don't want to hear. I go to Pastor Phil as my friend when I need anything, any guidance or on anything at all, any aspect of my life. I go to him as my friend. And I know that he loves me enough to tell me things I need to hear when I ask his advice and not things I want to hear. How do I know that? Because there have been occasions where I've asked him for his advice, he's given me his advice, and I'd wish that I didn't ask him for his advice. (laughs) But he knows also that I'll do the very same for him. So find somebody in your life like that, because God will use people like that. 
So whatever it is that your purpose is in life, it will be unique to yourself. Only you were created and designed by God to fulfill your purpose. On that journey to fulfilling our individual purpose, though, we all need to recognise and fulfil our common purpose. And that's to serve and honour God and each other, inside and outside of the church. So serving in any way that you can is a fantastic first step to discovering what God has for you as regards your purpose or your calling. And here at our church, we have classes like the Genesis Project and iConnect, which are provided and designed to help you to develop your relationship with God and to help plug you into serving in ministry at this church. And it's so often while serving one way that opportunities are revealed to you for other ways to serve that may be where your true calling lies. And many people at our church started with one ministry and have now moved on to others. So as I close today, I want to sum up for you the way that life, love and purpose works in your church, this church. Life starts so that love can happen and that purpose can be revealed. And it's the strangest thing. I mean, I stand here every Sunday morning, 10 minutes before service, and say, welcome to Heartsea's Family Life Church, where life starts, love happens, and purpose is revealed. And I've thought in the past, you know what? All credit to Pastor Phil and God for giving him these words, but that is such an awesome catchphrase. Isn't it, though? Life starts, love happens, purpose is revealed. But now I've been sat and I've been doing this. I mean, if Pastor Phil is actually aware of the impact that this whole phrase had on me and the power and the order of this thing then serious kudos to him because uh, the thing is this life starts not for life's sake we don't become saved just to be saved life starts so that we can love others and so that we can fulfill our purpose secondly the love and the purpose can't truly happen until after our life in Christ has actually started. Yet we can love and we can even be in love with those people that it's easy to love for as long as it's easy to love them. But we cannot truly love others the way that God commands us to. We can't love everyone, including some who would be considered unlovable, with an agape or unconditional love until we are truly alive in Christ. Similarly, we may well have our lives, we may fulfill a purpose. There may be a long list of achievements and goals that we fulfill, but we cannot fulfill the purpose that God designed for us without first living the life in Christ that we were created for. Life starting, love happening, and purpose being revealed should be happening all of the time in this church. But get this, it will never all be happening for one person, all at the same time. Each individual will be in their own walk somewhere through that process. Their life will be starting, or love will be happening, or their purpose will be being revealed and hopefully fulfilled. So the bottom line is this, we're all on that walk, but we're all at different stages of it. It applies to me, and it applies to you. I'm going to say something and this is not designed in any way at all to offend. I find that there are too many people in church, generally, but church, this church also, who are trying to give everybody else the, in church the impression that they've got it all together. For the benefit of yourself, and more importantly for the benefit of others, if that's you, then I'd ask you, please stop it. You being you, with all of your flaws and your imperfections, and your hang-ups and your issues, 
makes you much more relatable to the person sat next to you with their hang-ups and their issues. When we walk into a hospital, you don't see the place filled with perfectly fit and well people. And you don't see the place filled with sick people pretending to be fit and well. What you see is a bunch of sick people who are there to get made feel better. Agreed? The same thing applies in church. This place should be filled with broken people coming unashamedly and humbly to be made whole. Pastor Wayne Austin said on Wednesday evening, he said two things. Firstly, he said, we need to know where we're at if we're going to get to where we need to be. And he said this, which I thought was just really powerful, and this has just been eating at me for the rest of the week since Wednesday evening. There is no deliverance in denial. There's no deliverance in denial. Now, I walk around this church on a Sunday morning and I'm saying hi to people, and I, and I confess this in the meeting this morning. I say hi, hi to too many people on a Sunday morning. What do I mean by that? It's a bad thing to say hi to a lot of people. It's not bad to say hi to a lot of people. What's bad is, from my perspective, and this is something that I promise I'm going to change, I say hi to a lot of people because I'm on the fly, because I'm walking. I say hi, I say hi, I say hi. Very rarely do I actually stop and say, hello, how are you today? And that's really what we should be doing as a church. But when somebody stops and asks you, hi, how are you doing? If I come to you, do me a favour, if I come to you and I say to you, how are you today? Please don't tell me you're too blessed to be depressed. Please don't tell me that God is great. I know that, and I know that you're blessed, and I know that you're too blessed to be depressed. But you might still be depressed. And if you are depressed, tell me you're depressed. Tell me that you're having a rough week. Now, I'm not saying that I want everybody in the church, or Pastor Phil wants everybody in the church to come and be burdening everybody else, and I don't want it to be like a pool of woe and misery out there. That's not what we're talking about. But what we're talking about is this. There is no deliverance in, uh, in denial. You tell me that everything's fine, how much am I going to pray for you? Not as much as somebody else who's telling me that things aren't fine, right? So if things aren't fine, tell me they're not fine. I don't need to know exactly what it is that's not fine about your life, but if I know something's not fine, I can agree with you in prayer. Amen? Amen. I'll calm down a bit now. Okay, so as a church, we need to be excited about the process of life starting, of love happening, and of purpose being uh, um, revealed. And we need to be excited for every single po- person who's in their own walk. And we should always be having people in this place whose life is just starting. People who do not know Christ should be here in this church. Born-again Christians should be here in this church. Born-again, born-again Christians should be here in the church. People who have turned away but are now coming back to God and are rededicating their lives to the Lord. Now, our responsibility is not just to come here as an individual and learn how we can move along on our own little process here. By definition, if we are fulfilling our purpose, then we are spreading the gospel. We are inviting the broken to join our church family. And more people will be here looking for their life to start, for love to happen in their lives, and for their purpose to be revealed. Would you stand? We'd like to thank you for listening to this message today. We pray that your life has been challenged by what you've heard, but we also know it will be changed as you put God's word into effect. 
At Hard Seas Family Life Church, our doors are always open to help. If you need any more information or just a friend to listen, we are here. Call us at 225-274-1607 or email us at pastorp at hflc.us. Remember, put God first in your life and everything you do will prosper. We look forward to seeing you soon. God bless.